To begin with here, as we uh, get into our uh, scripture and message time, I, I wanted to say thanks to Justin um, for sharing with us last week. I was blessed listening to the tape, listening to the recording of the sermon. I must say, though, that it does fill me with tremendous confidence when I'm listening to the previous week's sermon and the preacher begins by saying something along the lines of, well, here's what I'm going to do and Pastor Jay isn't here to stop me. You know, that, that's a great way for me to begin listening to a, a message. But I'm, I am actually quite glad that I was not here to stop Justin from capping off our 50 Days to Vitality sermon series with his testimony and his call to action. I, I heard it, and I hope we all heard it and will respond well. It's, this 50 Days um, series, is, it's one of those where you realize it, it's, a, it's a series of messages, but we never get to the end. I mean, we get to the end of the messages, but, but everything that, that, that all of that series of messages is about just carries on. I'm still wearing my, my bead, and I'm going to keep praying for that person that uh, needs to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I hope that many of you are going to be continuing to do that as well, even though it's not part of the current project here at Covenant. But a, a great way to cap things off. And an interesting thing happened to me as I got back to church on Tuesday. I, I wanted to listen to the message, see what kind of damage control I needed to do. and Not really. I, I know, Justin, I, I wasn't worried at all. But, I, but I, I, I wanted to get a bulletin to kind of check out you know, how the things were laid out because Justin put together the bulletin, etc. And I could not find one. I mean, usually it's pretty easy. You come back in on a Monday or Tuesday after, uh, after worship service and you can find bulletins, you know, under chairs or around somewhere. I could not find a bulletin from last week. And then I, and then I suddenly realized, y- you all grab them up. You're saving them. They may be worth something someday. I mean, here's a bulletin from Justin Luvano's rookie year of preaching. Right? I mean, it's just like having a Barry Bonds rookie card. Yeah, and you'll get your bulletin laminated, pass it on to your grandkids, and 30 years from now, they'll go down to the mall. And Justin, 30 years from now, kind of take a look at him in the corner, kind of imagine him 30 years from now. 30 years from now, Justin will be sitting at a table down there at the mall, you know, with, with worship service memorabilia all around him. People lined up to get him to sign their bulletins, laminated bulletins. And your, your grandkids will finally get up there and they'll get him to sign it and he'll say something like this. Well, you know, God has gotten so popular here in America these days that he actually owns a day of the week that used to belong to sports. Good, some of you aren't laughing. It, it's not as funny, you know, as, as it should be, Right? But uh, anyway, huge thank you to Justin. And save those bulletins. They may be worth something someday. Um, we're starting a new series of messages in the, the little book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Or maybe Habakkuk. I'm not absolutely sure. I think it's Habakkuk. In keeping with how you tend to pronounce Hebrew words. I, I think you want to put the accent on, a, on the right syllable. Um, why Habakkuk? Besides the fact that his name just sounds so great rolling off your tongue, right? Habakkuk. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Um, well, first, honestly, because it's a short book. And, and we only have four weeks between the end of our 50 Days series of messages and 
mission week, uh, month that starts in August. So with only four weeks to work with, I, I kind of was looking for a, a shorter book. We've never had a sermon series in the book of Habakkuk before. Probably a lot of churches can say that. Um, but actually, I, I've recently, the last couple of years, I've been teaching a, a prophet's course at our local Bible school, Multnomah University, Reno, Tahoe. And Habakkuk has really become a favorite book of mine from among what are called the Minor Prophets. Um, minor Prophets, the, those books with those funny names on them that people don't tend to read very often except they know about Jonah and, and a few quotes from some of the others. But uh, it, it's become a favorite of mine. Now, a Minor Prophet, just to kind of set, set things right here, Minor doesn't mean that they're less important or less significant. It just means they're shorter. Uh, the minor prophet simply means that those minor prophet books are, are shorter. Isaiah, really big. Jeremiah, really big. You know, Habakkuk, not so much. But it really has to do with simply the length of the, the literary work and not about how important it is. There's some profound things that you find in the minor prophets. Uh, their message is every bit as important as what you find in the, the major prophets, and again, major because of how long they are. Some people would say I'm a major preacher. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I am drawn to Habakkuk is because he's somewhat unique as a prophet. Usually what Old Testament prophets do, the literary prophets who have books with their names on them, as well as the other prophets, the non-literary ones that you read about like Elijah and Elisha and others, usually what they're doing is they're speaking to their people on behalf of God. You've broken covenant with God, idolatry, social injustice, and religious apathy and dead ritualism abound. If you don't turn yourselves around, the curses you have been warned about are going to come upon you. Nevertheless, there is always hope beyond your just punishment because God, our God, is good and gracious as well as holy and just. That's the, that's the essential messages that prophets tend to give on behalf of God to their people. The arrow kind of pointing from God through the prophet to the people. That's kind of normal. But Habakkuk does the opposite. He speaks to God on behalf of his people. Asking questions that, as Bible scholar Peter Craigie says, and I put this quote in your bulletin, any thinking and believing person ought to ask. In this, he resembles Jonah among the prophets, Jonah who had all kinds of questions for why God was doing things the way he was, and he didn't like it one little bit. And he also reminds us of Job, who asked God to explain his actions. And in Job's case, he never got a straight answer, although he got God revealing himself, which kind of blew him away, and it served his purposes. Now there's three things that we need to know concerning Habakkuk as we begin our July study together. And we can summarize them with three handy C words. You may want to write these down. Carcamish. Don't worry how to spell it. Carcamish, cucumber, and carpet. Okay? Carcamish. Carchemish was an important city on the Euphrates River in northern Syria. Now the Assyrians had been the power of the ancient world until the late 7th century BC. The Assyrians were the empire. 
But their capital city of Nineveh fell in 612 to the Babylonians. They had to move their capital city to another location. And then in a last-ditch effort to maintain power, the Assyrians formed an alliance with the Egyptians against the, the rising power of the Babylonians. And the Babylonians crushed this alliance at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 B.C. And this marked the firm establishment of the Babylonians as the New World Empire. They now are the great power that is the threat to everybody else, including and especially the uh, southern kingdom of Judah, which still existed at this time, the northern kingdom having been taken out by the Assyrians about a hundred years earlier. So God's people are still holed up in the southern kingdom of Judah, still carrying on as a nation. But now Babylon, ba- the Babylonians are rising in power. And eventually, in f- about 587 B.C., they're going to come in and they're going to take out the southern kingdom. But that's, that's going to happen later. So 605 is the Battle of Carchemish. Now, Habakkuk, or excuse me, Habakkuk, does not give us information like what king is ruling at the time. It, it, with some prophets, in the, in the heading that, that begins their little book, or bigger book, they will tell you something about the kings that were ruling at the time that they were active, the time that they're speaking. They'll tell us a little bit about their times. Well, Habakkuk doesn't do that. But he does tell of the rise of the Chaldeans, and Chaldeans is just another name for Babylonians. So he is placed in the years just before and just after the Battle of Carchemish, somewhere around a little before, a little after 605 B.C. This is when um, Habakkuk apparently was active. In that period, as the Babylonians are establishing themselves, becoming a huge threat, but before they actually come in and crush um, what remains of the nation of God's people of Judah, the southern kingdom. Cucumber. We know very little about the man named Habakkuk. He's called a prophet at the beginning of his book, and this is somewhat unique. A couple other prophets only um, call themselves prophets or are called prophets, actually, by name. This may indicate that he was a professional prophet, meaning that he, kind of like a, a pastor of a church today, it was his job, he got paid for it, and, and he was a prophet for the people. I'm not sure exactly how it worked back then. Um, It also may mean that he was officially attached to the temple in Jerusalem. But that's all conjecture. We're not sure. But this name may indicate that. It's still not much information. And his name is thought to be um, um, Akkadian. Akkadian was the language of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. It was a major language in the ancient um, East, which has died out since then. Um, But it's very interesting that it looks like his name actually is an Akkadian name, which would indicate how much foreign influence had become part of Jewish life among God's people of that time. Here's a prophet of God, of Yahweh God, for the people of Israel in among the people of Israel, and his name actually comes from a foreign language. Interesting. And you're probably wondering how I'm going to get to cucumber. Hold on. Habakkuk in Akkadian means 
garden plant, some kind of garden plant. So we might validly translate his name from Akkadian into English as cucumber. That's a nice ring to it, don't you think? The prophet cucumber. Or maybe you want to combine the two and just call him the prophet Habakkuk. Well, this cucumber is in a bit of a pickle. Come on, I worked hard for that. Yeah, yeah, okay. The word for oracle that we find at the beginning of this book in verse 1 can also mean and is translated in the King James Version as burden. There's an overlapping here. Oracle and burden. Habakkuk has a burden. The burden of righteousness. He cares about things like righteousness and justice and truth. Anybody relate to that? As such, he will not compromise in his thinking. He will accept no satisfying answers if they seem less than truthful. He believes in a real God who has revealed himself to be absolutely good and all-powerful. He lives in a real world where people turn away from God, from righteousness, from truth. Where evil does triumph. Where lies oftentimes bring blessings. And where suffering oftentimes accompanies right choices. And Habakkuk is called to express truth that comes from God and confounds human wisdom and offends human sensibilities. Easier for him to distract himself with current fashions, local politics, favorite hobbies, but he can't. He will submit to God's righteous call. He won't slide out from under his burden. He will proclaim God's oracle. Habakkuk has a problem, one that is called the problem of theodicy, which is the defense of God's goodness and omnipotence in the face of the reality of evil in the world. The things he believes about God, the sovereign, holy, almighty God, and the things he sees happening all around him in his day simply do not match up at all. Anybody else relate to this situation? Look at what's happening in America and in the world today. Many are alarmed and distressed. How did terror become such a go-to strategy for advancing one's cause? When did we stop expecting our leaders to tell the truth and move with integrity? Why is the blatant rejection of God, mockery of righteousness, and trampling of justice allowed to continue and increase like an avalanche threatening to crush what is wholesome, healthy, good and true? Habakkuk speaks on behalf of all the righteous among his people and he speaks for all of us who care about living in righteousness today carpet. What does Habakkuk do? He calls God on the carpet. 
Now, I did a little bit of research, and I discovered that this phrase, to call on the carpet, actually comes from two sources. First, it has to do with, well, imagine yourself back in one of those, uh, in an old English manor, and you got the servants, and you got the aristocrats, and when the master was going to call a servant to come and give an account for their behavior, usually some mistake, they would call them from the part of the house that didn't have carpet, you know, where the floors were bare, into a part of the house like the master's study that did have carpet. And so this phrase of being called on the carpet, like the servants would just as soon stay in the part of the house without the carpets, but sometimes they would be called to the part of the house that had the carpets and you didn't want to be called onto the carpet, at which point probably you'd done something wrong. But there is an earlier um, use of this phrase, apparently, that comes from the early 1700s. And it referred to a cloth called a carpet that was laid on top of a conference table. And so when people would gather around a table for conferences or meetings, big meetings, to call something on the carpet was to put it out there uh, for... uh, to be taken under consideration or to be discussed. So to put something on the carpet was to put it out there for people to talk about. This also is an origin of this phrase, to be called on the carpet. So Habakkuk, in a sense, is saying to God, "I, I have something I would like to take under consideration and discuss with you. But also, this prophet, instead of calling God's people to give an account, God's servants to give an account to their master for their wrong behavior... He is asking God to come into his carpeted prophet's office and explain himself. A risky thing to do. But one that we all want to do at one time or another, don't we? And rightly and fairly so. God, why? Why? Why'd you do this? Why'd you allow this? And here it is in the Bible, the book of Habakkuk. And as we're going to see, God does answer him. But to Habakkuk, God's answer is worse than his original problem. In all of this, I'm hoping we will see a great truth and a deep challenge. God can handle our questions, whatever they may be. But can we handle God's answers and keep faith through perplexity? So let's take a look at our text today. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's word. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And God answers. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. 
They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us once again add to the wonder and the truth of your word given, preserved, shared here today. Add the power of your Holy Spirit that we might hear what you have for us to hear and that we might allow you to to shape us according to your truth, to change our minds the way we think, to be more along the lines of, of your thoughts, your truth, what is real and absolute. And Lord, then change our behavior a little at a time. But even because of what you have shared with us, that we might continue to, to cooperate with you in becoming the people that you've made us to be and doing the works that you have for us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this opening section, we have Habakkuk's, what's called Habakkuk's first complaint and then what's called uh, the Lord's first response. Habakkuk complains of God's inactivity. He cries out and many among his people presumably are crying out as well. And his God doesn't appear to be listening. Within his nation, among his people, God's people, terrible things are happening. Habakkuk points out evil, violent acts against innocent victims, and nothing changes. God, do you care? Are you really good? Are you truly mighty? He sees iniquity and wrongdoing all around him. Destruction. Violence, another shooting at the Hebrew school, contention, red clans and blue clans are at each other's throats claiming it's all their fault. God, are you seeing this? The prophet sees the law being set aside, justice ignored, power, that's all that matters. And the wicked seem to have it all. Good people have nowhere to turn. They're just trying to keep their heads down. The cost of real justice is out of their price range. This cannot be okay with you, Lord, can it? Where are you? Why can't I see your mighty hand? Is your arm too short after all? And then God, by way of divine revelation, responds. The Lord God tells international human history before it happens. He tells his prophet to keep his eye on the surrounding nations and get ready for an amazing surprise. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. 
God is going to do something about the rebellious mess his people have become. He is going to bring his well-deserved, just, and corrective punishment. The covenant curses he has warned his people about from the beginning and again and again and again are coming with terrible swiftness and in most shocking dress. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, as his rod of discipline. And what kind of people are these? Habakkuk's Lord gives him a frightening description. These are not nice people. These are not good people. They are bitter, hasty, marching across the earth, seizing whatever they want, dreaded, fierce. They bow to no transcendent rule or guide. They make up their own justice to serve their own purposes. They define for themselves what is right and noble, what is dignified. And they've got all the latest technology. Big, fast horses, skilled riders, earthen siege ramp construction know-how. Oh, and they are motivated the whole vicious horde staring forward, eyes on the prize, sweeping away town after town, respecting none. They are guilty before God, and it doesn't seem to matter. They worship themselves. They sing praise to their own power. They rejoice in their instruments of success. Just a quick footnote. Does any of that sound familiar? Americaldia? God inactive? Don't you worry, Habakkuk. The Lord is going to move. He is going to move like you have never seen before and would have never predicted. He is going to move through the great and slow movements of history. He is going to move through the rising and falling of human empires. He is going to move through an insatiable lust for power unleashed in a people who have respect and concern neither for the people of Israel nor for the God of the universe. He is going to move and neither Habakkuk nor his people are going to like it at all. As we're going to see next week for Habakkuk, God's answer to his first complaint, the answer, is far more perplexing than his first dilemma. The problem of God's mysterious inactivity will pale in comparison to the problem of God's planned and revealed activity. God, you're the one who is raising up those horrible Chaldeans for your purposes? God can handle our questions, whatever they may be. But can we handle God's answers and keep faith through perplexity. Let me conclude with this. The burden of righteousness that Habakkuk bore for a time we are blessed to find expressed in the little book that bears his odd name. We are going to see how God led him to a good place in the face of his deep questions about God and about the world around him. The burden of righteousness was also borne by another for all time. And we are much more blessed to find him waiting for us 
at his table today as we celebrate Holy Communion. How do we bring together the ultimate goodness of God, the sovereign power of God, and the social, moral, political, ideological, hell-bent chaos of the world he and we have created? How do we bring those things together? We don't. We can't. But Jesus Christ can, and he has. The Chaldean wave of human pride and cruelty fell upon him at the cross, and it killed him. And that wave wasn't generated only by the other guys. It came from us as well. It killed him. But it didn't keep him dead. Couldn't. Never could. Jesus, God's final oracle in the flesh of full and final righteousness and deliverance, bore the burden of our sin because he is the source and inspiration of all righteousness. In Jesus Christ, God moved once and for all in a way like humanity had never seen before and could never have predicted. It was like the Chaldeans in reverse. He moved within the great and slow movements of history, but in a way that transcended all history and all of the rising and falling of human empires. He moved through an unstoppable love for people unleashed in a man who descended from the people of Israel and was also the God of the universe. He moved and Habakkuk, his people, and those who trust in him still today were saved. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you once again for being with us. Lord, thank you for giving us such amazing um, inspiration, correction, guidance that we find in your word. Help us to Take to heart those things that you are giving us here today. And now as we come to your table, we pray that you would help us to come in a worthy manner to commune with you in this special way by your invitation and according to your grace. Lord, help each of us to come firmly convinced that we bring nothing with us to trade with you for the gift you give. But we come entirely on the basis of your grace, your goodness, who you are, what you've done, and your invitation to us. Thank you. And Lord, as we gather at your table, we pray that you would bless us, encourage us, equip us for the life you've given us to lead and the work you've given us to do. We pray this in your name and for your sake. Amen.